Especially in the female online business world, we're all taught to automate, 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 simplify your processes, outsource everything. But actually when you do that, you lose that human connection. So once you start leveraging the human connection, you're going back to what we used to do in the 80s and 90s. And actually businesses were very successful then, you know, despite, and they, they went through a very deep recession, but the way of doing things was very different. Hello and welcome to the Bossing It podcast. This series will be exploring the real life stories of women on a mission to build big brands and fulfilled lives. Each guest will share the ups and downs of growing their business and get real about the challenges that life has thrown their way on the road to success. Each episode will offer a fresh outlook on life and business and you'll also get to hear top tips from these amazing founders that will inspire you on your own mission of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Connie Longton-Jefferson, and today I'm joined by the amazing Adela Hussein. Adela is the founder of Startups & Co and is a master at helping you pitch your business to people that don't know you, yet. Known for her high energy and laser-sharp thinking, Adela spent 20 years as a management consultant doing cool stuff like helping British Airways acquire an airline and sitting on a new board for Sky. In 2015, she left the corporate world behind to pursue her own entrepreneurial ambitions with her fashion tech startup, Style Lyrical. Adela discovered she had a talent for pitching when she started doing PR for her business. Style Lyrical was featured in 14 publications in 12 months, including the Harvard Business Review. She is now using this talent and her connections to help other women do the same. Her Pitch to Press programme and PR Hero School have helped hundreds of founders fall in love with PR and skyrocket their sales. Most recently, she brought together a diverse panel of brand and marketing experts from all over the world to take part in her Spotlight Salon, a series of masterclasses helping founders craft a plan for increased visibility. In this episode, we discuss the lack of diversity in the media, why it's so important to get to know your values, and hear why confidence could be our biggest barrier to getting media coverage. We also chat about knowing your worth when running a business, and Adela of course shares her top tips on getting in the press. This is a brilliant episode full of actionable advice. I hope you enjoy. Adela, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me. So I sort of gave a bit of a bio of you in the intro, but for anyone that's not familiar with you and the work that you're currently doing, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and and what you're currently working on? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Adela. I'm the founder of Startups & Co. And, oh, a little bit about me. My God, my journey is very much uh, someone who I started as a management consultant um, in the city and then became a, a kind of serial entrepreneur. And uh, my current business is helping small businesses um, promote themselves to the media and master the art of pitching into the media and getting collaborations and partnerships to grow you know, their business. So anyone who's listening who's an entrepreneur who wants to know how to grow their business, um, you know, that's what I do. I help small businesses get in the media. But you weren't always doing that because, I, I mean, we obviously spoke before this interview and I feel like your journey to where you are has been so multifaceted. I don't really even know how you 
have fit it all into one lifetime. Um, so you started you sort of in the corporate world before becoming a, an entrepreneur and a startup founder yourself. And then you've kind of turned your attention to helping other founders. What was that transition like from corporate? What, what were you doing in that world? Yeah, so I was, in, when I was in the corporate world, like I was a management consultant, and I was always at the entrepreneurial end of the corporate world. So um, I was always kind of the, the end in, in teams where we often had to merge companies, launch new products, um, cut costs, uh, completely transform businesses. Um, and it was there was always some kind of change or some kind of implementation or some kind of launch. So it's very much the entrepreneurial side. And a lot of that has come from my own personal background. So I'm a, a third generation British Asian uh, person living here in London. I was born and raised in Brighton, which is in itself a very creative and entrepreneurial city. And uh, I was born into a family of retailers so my parents had clothing shops fashion shops uh, and my grandparents had fashion shops so my background my family background was not corporate whatsoever in fact I was the first person in my whole family across both sides to get a GCSE you know so wow. it was uh, the first person to go to university um so it was I was just born and raised in an on you know on an entrepreneur environment and it, I, it's quite extreme to say this but I was an only child for 19 years and my siblings were my parents shops <laughs> so you know wow. it, it, every day my parents did crazy hours in their shops right and back you know when you run a bricks and mortar actual you know mm. you have a lease and you have a you know product that you offer from an actual premise that isn't your home there's a huge responsibility and you have employees etc working in those shops so you know, I would go to the shop after school. I would be there in the mornings before beforehand. I, you know, I would work there in the shops on a Saturday. Uh, wow. When I was 12, my parents, I can't believe they got away with this, but they would <laughs> drive up to London to buy stock in what is now Brick Lane. You know, if anyone wanders through Brick Lane and sees random shops called wholesalers selling clothes, yeah. the whole of Brick Lane uh, used to be like that um, before it became, you know, hipster territory and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was when I was 12 my mum literally gave me the keys to shop and say you're responsible for the shop so you and another 15 year old will open and close the shop on a Saturday whilst we go and buy stock <laughs> oh know. my god I was like we don't want to shop your parents of child labour here but <laughs> I, remember, I remember the tillwood wasn't opening when a customer came in and I had to ring my mum on the landline saying how do I open the till and there's like some kind of catch at the bottom of these old cash registers <laughs> Imagine like 12 years. So how did they react when you when you went into this corporate world? Because, you know, you were really in it for a long time. Were they proud of you for doing something different or were they kind of a little bit sad that you hadn't followed in their footsteps? No, anyone who's got an Asian parent who might be listening will know that in the 80s, you were forced to either be a doctor, a lawyer, or accountant, right? Um, <laughs> okay. And so my mum's whole thing was, you are not going to go and work with your hands. You are not going to enter this crazy entrepreneurial world. Um, actually, and actually, back then in the 90s, it it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur. Like, it was yeah, really weird. Like, you saw, like, this is really odd to say this, but you saw people like Richard Branson in a hot air balloon, and you'd all roll your eyes thinking that's not the environment I was in. And you're just like, what is he up to now? You know, it wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't a role, he wasn't a role model. Actually, having said that, though, the person I really did admire, who is from, was from 
Brighton or slightly out of Brighton was Anita Roddick, who started The Body Shop. Mm, she yeah. was a fierce um, female entrepreneur that we all admired, actually. Um, and I kind of did want to be an entrepreneur, but it wasn't the done thing. So uh, mm. I was actually going to be an accountant. Um, so I did economics and accounting at uni and did the whole corporate thing and actually ended up working at PwC to train as an accountant, know my numbers, and absolutely hated it. You know, <laughs> I was a failed accountant. I really hated it. I did not want to do more exams. Um, and I found I was auditing companies. And uh, whilst it was interesting to know the numbers, I was doing, it was just the same thing again and again. So that I almost mm. skipped over to management consulting where you're actually changing the companies and implementing stuff and making stuff happen as opposed to like checking the numbers, which is what auditing mm. is. So... I did that for a, a long period of time. Um, and then I ended up getting headhunted to work at Sky in the strategy team um, to kind of be on a board that Sky had to kind of launch new products. And then I just, you know, I was 35 at that point and I knew I wanted to start a business. And um, I saw that there was a really interesting business idea that was flying really well in the U US. And I thought, why is no one doing that in the UK? Um, yeah, I love. I want to know more about that because I feel like it's really interesting that your your parents are in fashion and retail and that kind of industry. And I feel like you, when you went on that entrepreneurial journey, you sort of went back to that, but in a very, you know, sort of Y two K space with the tech. You kind of brought tech and fashion together. Yes, exactly. So, the, you know, what I saw was happening in the US was that there was this new model of personalization for fashion um, and the ability to send outfits in a box to people who didn't have access to shops or didn't have time to go shopping. And I knew from yeah. my job in consulting that I was always on a flight somewhere, you know, waking up at four in the morning. It was pretty, pretty um, intense, actually. And I just, the idea of just going shopping on a Saturday just was just such a waste of time for me. Like, I, it just wasn't what mm. I wanted to do. I wanted to see my friends on a Saturday. I wanted to do other things. So someone sending me outfits in a box and just saying, this is what you should wear and this is how you should wear it was just an amazing thing for me, right? So I just saw that this was going on in the US and a man had launched the equivalent of this business in the, in in London for men. I thought, hang on a minute, why is no one doing this for women? And so that's where, you know, that's why I started Star Lyrical because I knew I was the target customer. I knew that there would be a demand for it. Uh, and I basically, you know, handed in my notes at Sky with their lovely blessing, um, and they were ever so sweet, really, really sweet, and they'd had entrepreneurs in that specific team, because we're in the strategy team, and that tends to attract the entrepreneurs who haven't become mm -hmm. entrepreneurs yet, and they're sort of waiting to become entrepreneurs, you know, um, and ended up jumping to become, to, to launch this fashion business that I did, what, five or six years ago. And, and what... I guess there's two sides of it. I think one is what had you learned from the corporate world that helped you in that? But also what had you learned from your your background and your parents? And, you know, I think those two worlds collided and, and it makes total sense that you did what you did. But what, what did you learn from that and take through? Yeah, I love this question. I really, really love this question. So business in the 80s and 90s, I'm saying those decades because that's when I was, when I was growing up in, in you know, on the shop floor, was very much about human connection because there was mm. no internet. There would, email didn't exist. You could, didn't have mobile phones to message someone. So ev the people who were very successful 
with the people who knew how to talk to others and ask for favors, ask for help, ask for introductions, build relationships, um, mm. move on very quickly if something was failing and move fast and could apply those principles. What I'm seeing now, and I'm constantly having to educate others on this, and I do that through my own program, Pitch to Press, is that stop making your business transactional. Like, don't rely mm. on email to do everything. And this is a bit of an oxymoron because, especially in the female online business world, we're all taught to automate, 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 simplify your processes, yeah. outsource everything. But actually, when you do that, you lose that human connection. So mm. once you start leveraging the human connection, you're going back to what we used to do in the 80s and 90s. And actually, businesses mm. were very successful then, you know, despite, and they, they went through a very deep recession, but um, it, the way of doing things was very different. So I, I applied that to my life and consulting. And actually, when you, when you are, and some of the gigs I had in consulting were really tough, like, you know, imagine you're 26 and you're told, right, you're responsible for going into that team over there. Um, we're telling them, we told them yesterday that they're all being fired. Your job now is going to sit down with them, find out what the hell they do, and <laughs> tell them they've got to tell you what the hell they do. And then yeah. we're going to fly you out to India and make, and you've got to take those people and make them sit down with the person who's taking over their job and just manage all of that. <laughs> Yeah, you need some pretty good people skills for that role. <laughs> you learn learn how to build relationships and trust. No one is going to help mm -hmm. you, especially if they've been told they're fired, right? So you have to understand what makes people tick, what motivates people. How do you build trust in a very short period of time? So I think mm. learning how to build human connections and have strong relationships, something that came from my personal family background, the entrepreneurial background. Yeah. But learning to build trust and credibility fast in a hostile environment is something I learned through the corporate world. Um, yeah. And then that then transitioned into everything I did after that in my entrepreneurial journey. I mean, you obviously had a, a really good foundation to, to, to create and build this business. But what were some of the challenges that you face because I know that some of the challenges you face to sort of change the direction of your journey slightly so could you tell us a bit about that yeah so I mean if we just to, to hone in on the challenges I faced actually so mm. the challenges I saw and this is what was so interesting is that when you're in the corporate world you're given a role you have a job you're being paid for that everyone around you is being paid to do something as well um mm. and if something doesn't work right you know, people then kind of whine to their boss, don't they, subtly? And they say, oh, so-and-so is not giving me the data or, you know, I can't make this work. And everyone's got these reporting lines and lines of accountability. So stuff does happen, even though it happens and kind of can be in quite a difficult way. In the business world, no one owes you anything, right? You're a solopreneur, if you are a solopreneur, or, you know, if you're mm -hmm. co-founders, nobody around you other businesses don't owe you anything they don't they, they, there's no reporting line there's no accountability mm. so that actually means it's harder for an entrepreneur who may have made the switch from corporate to um, startup to suddenly yeah. realize that they, they can't be the entitled person that they were previously you know especially if they spent a long time in corporate and they became very skilled and good at what they did 
becomes very difficult. So no, once the, that penny drops and you realise no one owes you anything, you've got to roll your sleeves up and make it happen because nothing's going to mm. fall in your plate. You are the boss. The, the buck stops with you, right? Mm. So that was the first kind of challenge I realised and that kind of propelled me into action. And the second challenge I faced was often when I went into uh, environments, especially in the London startup scene, I found it really hard to not see other women of colour um, mm. around me with businesses. I found it very hard when I was pitching into the media and I'd go to networking events that kind of publishing media houses to connect with journalists that I was the only brown woman in the room, you know, and I would sit there and I would play a game in my own head. How many Chinese women can I see? How many black women can I see? And the numbers between you and I were less than three. Um, yeah. And that lack of diversity really impacted my confidence at first. And I kept wondering, yeah. why is that? Like, why am I not seeing enough diversity in the British startup scene, in the British media scene? Mm. And this is where it gets even more interesting, right? Because people... People talk about the corporate world being, oh, it's not diverse, there's not enough men, there's not, not, not enough women, there's not enough people of colour. But those companies, actually, the companies that are getting it right or, or trying to get it right, they've got shareholders to answer to. They've got, you know... Um, it's accountability, accountability you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's in their interest to, to not have, you know, a, a fully male team, Right. But in the startup world, it's a bit of a jungle out there. It's a bit wild. No one has any accountability to do, you know, anything. Like they, they can they can deliver how they want to deliver, however they want. So that's that's something I really struggled with, and it, and it took me a long time to kind of realise that that it wasn't me. It was in, it was the environment. Yeah, and you you know you talked about confidence and I think you know whenever we talk about diversity and inclusion I think it's about having a safe space it's about seeing yourself represented it's about um, connecting with people that you know you feel understand you on a, on a very deep level in terms of actually pitching to press which is obviously you know where you've ended up now were there direct challenges did you feel like you lost out on opportunities or do you feel like you you had to kind of really bolster yourself to, to go out there you know what how did that feel to to feel quite alone in that it felt very alone actually very very alone so uh, and this is partly the reason why I started pitch to press um people buy from people right people like people who look like them who sound like them who act like them and it's it's this kind of unconscious bias that we all have that mm. we don't realize and you know I was very guilty of it when I was in the city and I used to interview people right so I would have someone who was inter being interviewed for a management consulting role and I'd look at their CV I'd look at how they spoke I'd look at how they answer questions um, and if they were you know ha ha had a brain and that was similar and the way they they looked at problems was very similar to me I'd say yes um, and so we all have that unconscious bias but it's very noticeable in the world of the, the media world and the startup world. And that's why you often see <laughs> the same kinds of blokes who went to the same schools, wearing the same chinos, mm. boat shoes. Or, so, you know, you see a lot of the same blonde women, you know, all starting mm. in the world of PR or fashion and beauty. So the thing is, the challenge here is that people have to break the circle. They have to mm. look outside their circle. And unless they're being forced to do that, or they're really hyper aware of it, it will continue on, they just carry on. 
So the way I overcame it um, was firstly, I hired uh, a PR, I hired a PR firm, you know, white PR firm to to do, tell my story for me. Um, The other, and, and then I started to run out of money and then I started to pitch myself. And then what, where I found success was, um, I started to reach out to people, my customers, and I said, if you love what I do, do you have any connections? Can you help me get out there? I reached out to women I knew, actually women and men, who I knew were happy to champion me. So I leveraged my personal network and I asked if they knew anyone in their network. Um, And there were some very incredible people out there who were very successful entrepreneurs, editors, of, of well-known magazines who themselves were on that um, inclusion and diversity, um, you know, uh, championing that in their organizations. Mm. So it, at, when I was pitching, it was the kind of rise of the female founder, but actually the more, yeah. the, the, the more, sorry to say this, but the more intelligent female editors knew that actually the next wave in the UK was going to be the rise of female founders who are diverse, you know, and they yeah. were the ones who were helping me out a lot, actually. Yeah. So I used other people, again, to pitch for me, but they were the ones referring me in. Yeah, but again, like you said, it comes back to that human connection of you can have a PR firm, you know, tell your story and tell your story for you, as you said, but really that kind of, um, connection comes from you being the person going right let me tell you my story and you can see the whites of my eyes and you can connect with me on a deeper level and actually sometimes that gets a, a better emotional response um do, do when I know that the reason you ended up pitching for yourself is because you didn't have the success that you wanted originally with the PR firm that you 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 were working with if people are listening to this and they're considering going to going to a PR firm do you think that do you think diversity and inclusion comes into that choice? Should you be looking for PR firms that, you know, you can see are championing, you know, people in your communities? Or do you think that you maybe just had a bit of bad luck with the one that you worked um, with? So the PR firm I hired were absolutely brilliant in helping me get influence collaborations in the short period right. we worked together. So yeah. the, the challenge I actually had in year one was that I ran out of money very, very quickly. Right. So... You know, and this is this is always a question for solopreneurs and you know small small businesses. Is at what point do you hire someone to tell your story for you? Yeah. Um. And I hired someone to tell my story for me. And at the time, I'd you know had four or five different people working for me. I even had one person living in my loft. <laughs> I convinced to live with me. For I met her in Bali. She was amazing. And it was just all very startup-y. You know, my yeah. living room was my co-working space, our co- like our office. It was completely, completely mad. Um, and I was running out of money very quickly. And those first six months are pretty crucial. And mm. these guys did absolutely brilliantly in helping me get influence collaborations. So I really applaud them on that. I just got to a stage where I ran out of money mm. and... I also realized actually, you know, I could pitch because all the pitching skills I'd actually acquired by working in those hostile environments. And I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, I could be pitching myself. Mm. So there was kind of this point where I ran out of money. I realized I could tell my story um, and I just had to do it. I just had to do it. So, uh, you know, we parted ways very positively. So there was no kind of breakdown there at all. Um, And the minute I started pitching myself, 
things really did shift because I mm. was in control of my story. I was yes. in the relationships. I was seeing the journalists in person. So I would go to events and sit in the front row, right? Mm. So that, you know, Dolly Alderton is a very famous influencer and, yeah. you know, that we all know. The reason I got Dolly to back my brand uh, was because I went to an event she did, sat in the front row, asked her a question, knew, interestingly enough, that she was always talking about, at the, she had the column in the Sunday Times style, mm -hmm. she was talking about love and sex and, and relationships and all of that stuff. But I knew she was also very stylish, but no one had ever talked to her about fashion. And I actually mm. knew, you know, she was really, she's a very, very intelligent person. And I said, you know what, I'm building a, a fashion tech company. I know it's not what you typically write about, but I think you're very visionary actually in how you write. You know, would you be interested in, in learning a little bit more about what I do? You know, and it was, that was pretty much the, the conversation I had yeah. for five minutes. You know, and the next thing I knew, she gave me her number, uh, you know, lots of texting and throwing and a bit of emailing. And then I'd turn up at her house with a box one day. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and then uh, she, the nightmare was that she posted the night, the, the morning of my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and I put her in a beautiful Stine Goya dress because Danish fashion was big at the time. And I, she, she looks like a scan, you know, Danish yeah. woman. And I knew that, that, that it would fly. Didn't anticipate the fact that I'd get a gazillion emails that morning going, do you have that dress left? Oh <laughs> it's, a really, it's a bit of a wasted opportunity, actually. But it was a really good lesson in that if you are, whatever you do to promote your business, make sure that your operations and uh, the stock, you have it all ready to go, right? Yeah. Because you, you will get this, these waves of orders. So, yeah. I, I mean, I... I... I sort of want to jump on to talk about confidence because I think you, what you did there with Dolly is is a real testament to your confidence. But before we move on from diversity and inclusion, I do want to ask, you sort of said earlier about, you know, the, the, the wave of, you know, celebrating female founders and this wave of celebrating female founders, you know, women of colour. If, if people are listening to this, and you know, and they're thinking, OK, great, how can people avoid their story being used in a tokenistic way? Because I think that's really, really important that you are being championed because people believe in you, not because, oh, we need a brown woman in this article, let's use her. You know, we, that's just not, it's, it's not right. I love this question. It's such a good, great question. And I'm funny... Funny enough, I asked this question to someone I interviewed last week as well, because it, it's a very big thing, right? We're seeing a lot of tokenism in the last year, year and a half, um, because of what had happened in the US. Um, and we had, you know, Black Lives Matters and, and mm. you know, suddenly everyone posting pictures of books saying, oh, I'm suddenly being very diverse. I've read this book by so-and-so. And, -so and um, you know, suddenly white, you know, very white Instagram grids have this peppering of brown people on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is very, you can absolutely see that tokenism. If, if you feel that someone is engaging you purely because of tokenism and you do not feel comfortable with it, as an entrepreneur, you need to say no and you need to work out what your values are and what you feel mm. comfortable with. So, you know, last year someone approached me and said, can you go on a panel with, for Google to talk about diversity and inclusion? Back then, diversity and inclusion wasn't my expert topic. It wasn't what mm. I was talking about. I don't want to be someone's bit of diversity on the side. Yes. I don't want to be 
you know, seen as the brown person on a panel. I want to be mm. known for my brain and my expertise because I have worked bloody hard to build those skills and build that confidence over a 20 year period in the city. And then, you know, all the years before that as a school mm. child. So don't use me for those reasons. That's mm. actually very condescending. Um, yeah. So I've, I've turned down opportunities um, you know, very desirable opportunities like Google for that reason. Um, and I have no issue with that because once you start positioning your own personal brand and what you get known for in a certain direction, that's where your reputation, that's how your reputation forms. So as an entrepreneur, you need to be very deliberate about what you say yes to and what you say no to and how you wish to be known in your market. So if you want to be known for, you know, a foodpreneur who sells, uh, brilliant yogurts get into discussions around you know food panels that talk about breakfasts don't so you know unless one of your passions in life is diversity and inclusion does that make sense I think you're right I think whenever we have conversations with people about diversity and inclusion it is that it's make sure that the opportunities that are coming to you be they media be they panels or collaborations make sure that they make sense to your personal brand and your values and what you're doing and not just you've been chucked in as an afterthought because you know people thought it would make their make their piece look more diverse you talked about values there and I think it's really really important to make sure that when we're pitching to press we are aligning with people that align with our values but I guess it really starts with looking at your own values um you know what was that process like for you to kind of understanding what those values are yeah i love this so i've actually gone through this whole exercise myself in the last year so i started pitch to press a year ago back in what june 2020 and what i discovered in that kind of first six months was that i was kind of attracting people whose values didn't necessarily align with mine mm. um people who didn't and this is this isn't you know, this isn't a bad thing, but, you know, I, I tend to attract international crowds or, mm. pe- and I grew up in Brighton. It's a very liberal city, mm. um, a very accepting city with lots of different cultures. Uh, I live in London, which is a multicultural city. So I am, I bounce off and I am the best entrepreneur I can be when I have people from around the world working with me. I don't just want to work with, you know, I'm not the kind of entrepreneur who might be based, I'm just making this up, you know, based in Hertfordshire, you know, only hang out with people from Hertfordshire and they happen to be, you know, I only collaborate with people in Hertfordshire. That's just not me at all. So I noticed when I switched my um, audience, I started to collaborate more with Americans, with people who lived in Asia, I started to really um, attract and call in the people who were also globally minded, who also agreed with, you know, equality and diversity and had very similar, similar way of thinking, um, Mm. in fact. And that felt really, really good to me. So, Mm. you know, a good example of that is now I'm hosting a, a virtual conference that's going live in a couple of weeks called the Spotlight Salon. And the speakers for that, I have been very, very clear that I do not want, you know, only white women um, 
or, or men to be on my my conference. It cannot mm. be a hundred percent white. So I've led with the fact that it has to be 50-50. So in the city, mm-hmm. we talk about 50-50, right? You know, boards are trying to get 50% women, 50% men. So my view is I want 50% people of colour and 50% white people. And I've been really, really clear with that. And what that has, what's been amazing in, is that when I really put that message out there to people in my network, everything started to fall into place. The people I pitched mm-hmm. to, as part of the pitch, I said, I am leading with this 50-50 and um, I'm really proud of it, really, really mm. proud of it. But I, I'm, I, I'm very shocked when I see other people, and I see this constantly on Instagram, very famous personal development publishing houses put out a panel uh, or put out a, 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 ver- a summit, and it's 80% white. And I'm like, mm. if I can do this for my living room, you know, and get 50-50, why can't you, as a company with hundreds of people around the world working for you? And, you know, you said that when you're pitching to press, those values are really front and centre in your conversation with people. Do you think that knowing your values, you know, and, and leading with them when, when people are pitching to press, do you think that can actually help get more coverage and make those connections? You know, do you think it's quite powerful to really know your brand and values before you start the pitching process? Absolutely. You really do need to know that. And it's when I talk about pitching, I mean, in my own course, I call it pitch to press, right? So everyone thinks it's just magazines and, and online articles. I also I also talk about other types of ways of getting out there, which is partnerships, collaborations. Um, mm. Those things are really important to grow your audience. And it is so important that whenever you pitch to anyone, you know exactly who you're pitching to and why. And whatever information you can find about their values, who they are. And a lot of journalists and entrepreneurs are very, very clear about who they are. You can see it straight away. Um, you know, we, we saw in the, in the US, uh, there's this quite strong cancel culture online, mm. social media. People have been cancelled because, you know, something is not quite right in their values or you know they've ranted and everyone's saying hang on a minute that sounds racist or you know and there's a very strong uh, reaction to that i think we have become more political globally because we spent so much time in lockdown and we're just more aware of things because we're not as busy as we were before so leading with your values will stop you aligning your brand with potentially disastrous brands in the future Mm. Because if you don't research that person, you don't look at what they're tweeting, you don't look at what articles have been written about them or what they blog, and there is something dodgy in that, and you've partnered with them, it will bite you in the bum five years down the line. It really will. So it's very, very important. Um, I mean, this wasn't really a values thing, but one of the things I teach my students in Pitch to Press is research your journalists. And yeah. there's this horror story. <laughs> I was I got a phone call once from a journalist at a national national newspaper that will remain nameless, who <laughs> claimed to be very diverse, in fact. Um, and uh, I didn't research this journalist. So a real tip for anyone who is on in this podcast listing and really wants to get media coverage, the best thing you can pick up from this is look at the last five to ten articles that journalist has written. Yes. and check the language, the tone, and how they talk about their topic. So this person, this journalist, approached me and said, I really like what you do. 
can I have a sample of it? I'm doing a beautiful review of stuff, you know, the cheap, you know, the fashion, blah, 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 fashion subscription boxes. She took the, she took the box, it went to a photo shoot. Um, and then I, and then I picked out, you know, I woke up one morning, skipped to the news agents, bought a copy of, bought a copy of the newspaper and then sort of dropped it. And she did, she did an article saying the good, the bad, the ugly. Oh. <laughs> and reviewed three. Which one were you? And I, I was the, the ugly one, which was, and it, she, and she was, she admits she was basically looking for someone, to, something to kick and say mm. that she hated um, cancelling shopping in person, basically. And then within five minutes, I got a phone call from my friend in Canada who just said, you plonker. And I said, what are you talking about? She says, you know that journalist. If, if you read that damn newspaper every week, you would know that journalist would win the national lottery and become a million overnight and would f- still find something to moan about. But her column <laughs> was, all, was a moan column. That's what she wrote. She, she moans about stuff. And if I had, someone had educated me or I'd educated myself and done my research, I would have known to have turned her down. So this yeah. is so, so important. Do not let the power dynamic rest with the journalist or the entrepreneur. Everyone tells you to get out there. Be smart, be savvy. You yes. choose who you partner with. You choose yeah. who you say yes to. I think that's such great advice and, and on so many levels, because like you said, A, you want to make sure that there's no backlash down the line, that you suddenly go, oh God, you know, we've got to associate with this this publication or this influencer or or what have you but also kind of going back to that you know diversity thing as well just connecting with people on a human level finding people that echo your values is likely that they're going to really see you and then write something that you actually go yeah I'm really happy that's out there in the world rather than like oh gosh this is just this is no they haven't got me at all they haven't told my story the way I would want to say it exactly and I think that it's a very important thing what you've just said about they're not telling my story the way I want to tell it it's it's a very difficult thing in fact as an entrepreneur to to know if a journalist is going to tell your story the way that you want to tell it Mm -hmm. you have to trust them but you have to this is what a lot of people don't do they they make the world the art of pitching it's a very transactional thing and they think Mm -hmm. oh I just pick up this swipe copy that I found online insert the name of my business insert what I do talk about the features and benefits and that's it that's definitely not how I teach and that's not mm. what I would encourage anyone to do. What I say is build the relationship first with the journalists. When you've done your research, when you've built the relationship, you then know that they're trustworthy enough to even feature yeah. your story. You then know that they're good enough for you, not the other mm. way around. So a very interesting uh, thing happened to me with my last fashion business when I was put into a, an interview uh, by two PR uh, individuals who were working for a, a co-working space in London. And the co-working space was on a huge PR drive. So were like a big female founding co-working mm-hmm. space. And they wanted case studies. And yours truly, being a brown lady, was a classic, you know. <laughs> probably that could have, that probably was a bit of tokenism there and I probably wasn't savvy enough to recognise <laughs> it back then, you know. <laughs> um, yours truly, when you stuck my hand, I was like, this sounds fantastic. I want to be interviewed by by the Times, okay. So I'll, I'll name the Times. And it's, it's not because it's the Times. There's nothing negative about this. Not totally negative, but, but I hadn't had the Times logo, okay? So I was like, I really want You're the like Times. super excited. I You're was like, super excited. You know what? I was just like, when I, once you start getting media, 
you then become, if anyone's been in a scout association, it's a bit like collecting badges. If anyone collected <laughs> stickers as a teenager or collected badges as a girl guide or, you know, it was like collecting them and you'd get really addicted to it. So I was like, yes, I haven't got the time to do it. So I went on the court and 20, literally, I think it was like 12 hours earlier, the Me Too movement, like the Harvey Weinstein story broke out. Right. And the Me Too movement changed the whole narrative. Changed the Every journalist in the world was trying to cover Me Too in some shape or form. That journalist came on the call with the sole purpose of trying to get a story about sexism from me. Mm. So she didn't care about, you know, that, the co working space. She knew she had someone who works in the city. So we started talking about the co working space, and then she immediately said, so do you now work, do you now, are you now part of this women's co-working space because you faced a lot of sexism in the city? What were your mm. male colleagues like? And honest, honestly, I have been in very, very senior meetings with like some unbelievably sharp lawyers, like negotiating contracts. I had lawyer friends, you know, and, and she was like a lawyer, like every angle she was coming at me about sexism, sex, sexism, sexism. And I, and I, within a millisecond, I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to break. Like, just say no. And I just mm. turned around very assertively, like almost slightly, you know, the PR ladies were very uncomfortable on this call. And I said, I do not have a story about any form of sexism for you. Sorry, this interview's ended. I, I don't want to participate in this anymore. Don't have a mm. story. And it was, and that was it. And, and then the, there was someone, there was another entrepreneur being interviewed like half an hour later and the PR ladies were quickly on their email and like chat telling the other entrepreneur that this was the angle the journalist was going for. That wasn't the journalist's fault. You know, the world had changed and she was moving with the story. Yeah. But you as an entrepreneur, if I was someone who was inexperienced with, with dealing with people, I could have ended up named off. I mean, obviously everyone's faced a bit of sexism, right? I could have like, talked about a story it really wouldn't have done me and my brand or it just it just wasn't my story it just wasn't no. my story so and I think something that I know you teach on your courses and, and when you're talking to people is about this power dynamic that you've mentioned is yes. about understanding and I think that anyone listening to this and I think you know We've, we've talked to you, you know, you're confident you've got this background I think you've got you know a lot of resilience and you, you've got the I guess, foresight to, like you said, in that situation, you said, no, I know what I'm doing here. Some people maybe are a bit greener to that sort of world or that sort of like hard line of questioning. And I think everyone can just get a little bit um, overwhelmed and just feel like this journalist holds the key to getting my business exposure. I will give them what they want. I'll say what they want. You know, how can we really focus on knowing our worth and not getting intimidated by this journalist on a pedestal that we might put them there? Yes, uh, this is something I really teach my students, actually. So the be- I'll give you a lovely strategy to use. Just take everyone here listening to this who is planning to pitch right now, grab a post-it note, pick up a pen, and I want you to write these words. Journalists are not gods. <laughs> Honestly. I've got, I've got, you know, I had students who were getting into the BBC re- like earlier this year who just, <laughs> she kept putting all my quotes on her screen and staring them at every day. Journalists are not gods and they need your story on another post mm-hmm. note. They need your story. And I can tell you this because when I worked at Sky, I was working, my last, one of my favourite projects I worked on was transforming Sky Sports News. 
So mm. I was there with the journalists for a good year. Um, and it was, you know, and the media world was, go- it was going through a huge transition phase then, right? So um, lots of people were starting to lose their jobs. And I was the person coming in, not, you know, looking at the processes and looking how things could merge. And whenever there's a merger, there are, you know, heads cut. It's not very, it's not a great place to, to be. Um, but because of that experience, I can tell you that a journalist needs you more than you need them. So I live in a part of London that is filled with very, very famous journalists. And I, and I see them all the time. Uh, and I know that they, during lockdown in particular, you, you, you know who your neighbours are during lockdown. So I was discovering that all these famous journalists, were, I live in, in London's media city, right? So I just start talking to them. And um, I know that they just, they need to put out stories. They need your content. So you know, I've been in planning meetings at Sky Sports News where the boss says on this big room, what do you have for me today? What's the story? And a journalist is literally quivering in their boots thinking, what am I going to pitch? So when you imagine that room and you imagine their big boss towering over them, remember that your story, they need your story more than you, than, than you need them. Mm. And if they don't have a story, they don't have a job. So yeah. with that lens, if yes. any if entrepreneurs can look at the world of media pitching from that lens, it changes that completely. The power dynamic will change. And that's yeah. what I teach my students so from day one. And that, that, that is magic for all of them. That's the real yeah. magic. Understanding you're not an, an entrepreneur begging with hand in cap, you know, please journalist, feature me, please entrepreneur, can I be on your podcast, please? You know, no, you've got a brilliant business. You've got beautiful products and services. You wouldn't be in your business if you weren't, if you weren't good enough. So, you know, don't, Go, don't go begging for these opportunities. Know that the, you are powerful as you are. I love that. As in, it's, sort of, it's almost like an affirmation because I think a lot of the times I can imagine, and I've been there myself, you know, you're, you're almost sat there, you've got the email, you know what you're going to say and there's just this, you're sort of on the edge of the swimming pool sort of feeling where you're kind of like, you're just scared to, I guess, go for it. And I think actually just having some sort of those mantras in your mind to go, just go for it. They're not gods. They need this story. They're going to be grateful to get this email because they're going to go, brilliant, I've got something to write about. I think it can just really shift our mindset around pitching. Yes, it really does. And hitting send on a pitch or an ask is the hardest thing. Yeah. It is the hardest thing. So if you can hit send then you have done the hardest thing. You know, mm. you can be very well supported, right? So I support a lot of the people I work with, how to craft a perfect pitch, how to make it about them, not you, and all that, those kind of tools and techniques of crafting something brilliant, right? But the hitting the scent, I can't do that for you. I can't do that for my students. That's when they're really in the chair going, and do you know what? The hitting send is not even about pressing a button. It's about that millisecond when someone understands, am I worthy of this? Yeah. What's my self-worth like? And this is where we get a bit woo. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I think I, it's so massive because we can talk massive. about practical tips and they're really important. But I know that, no, you can have, like I said, you can have all the ingredients. You can, it literally is just a case of hitting send. And that can be the last barrier that you just chicken out of and you go I'll do it tomorrow I'm not in the mood today I can't handle this right now and oh, yeah. you get all these drafts you know so I think it is so important that we talk about mindset it's really important and and mindset is 
half the battle with pitching and putting yourself and getting visibility opportunities and um, one of the things I love to tell teach everyone I work with is you have credibility and authority as soon as you decide to take it mm. that is a complete flip on I want to pitch for that versus I have the credibility and authority already it's there for the grabbing it's there for the taking yeah I'm, re- I'm already yeah. worthy of it does that make sense it's very different yeah different way, a different way of looking at it you're flipping the script on how you think about pitching and putting yourself out, out there for those visibility opportunities a hundred percent so we're coming to the end and you know we like to end with three top tips and, and one of the ones i was going to ask you i feel like you've already answered but there might be something else so yeah what would be your top tip for somebody who is struggling with the confidence to either get their first pitch out there or are listening to this and just feel so intimidated? And, you know, you're such a confident person that I think it, people might go, God, of course she can go and pitch herself, but that's not me. What would be your tip apart from shifting your mindset about the power dynamic? Because that's huge. Surround yourself with people, um, you know, who are also on this journey with you. Uh, and that, that works mm. for any anything that you work on. So it's a slightly broad answer, but it's so, so important, right? You know, um, when I was starting my business, uh, my fashion business, I actually moved to Bali for four months. I put my house on Airbnb, moved to Bali. I wanted to be immersed in a co-working space with lots of entrepreneurs and keep my costs really low. And the reason I was mm. able to, to start a business and put it out there very quickly was because I was surrounded by entrepreneurs day in and day out. Like we would have dinner together. Yeah. It's just pre-kids, right? So you, we had the flexibility to do that. But yeah. surround yourself with people on the journey with you because if they get the wins, it will the magic will spread to you. You can then ask them, how did you get that? What did you do? How can I get that? You can't be what you can't see, right? I know these are really cheesy phrases, but it's so, so true. You are you are yeah. some of the people you surround yourself with. And you, if you're surrounded by people who are struggling to get their business out there and, and you want to and you're desperately trying to, you've got to enter a new community. You've got to, you've got to find that support. What you just said really resonated with another thing I wanted to ask you, which was what if somebody wants to do that but doesn't feel like they're being represented or they're not seeing themselves in these sorts of communities and this these spaces that's a very very good question i would say in that it's again it's about being in communities like connecting with entrepreneurs who have those things similar those value not necessarily values but those those culture life experiences yeah, those I similar guess. experiences yeah. and backgrounds to you so that you're not on this journey alone. When I was on my journey, I was very much alone when I was pitching. Um, mm. And it felt very frustrating, which is why then when I ended the fashion business and wound it down, uh, because I didn't want it to be a certain type of business, um, I started this business because I just didn't think anyone was offering what I do in, this, in the way that I do it. So surround yourself with people who are getting getting out there as well so you can all you're not alone in this journey and if you are really really struggling do what I did which is if you're a woman or or man of color and you're listening to this and you're thinking I I just feel disheartened every time I go online scroll on Instagram Mm. surround yourself with allies surround yourself with people who share that value of diversity or you know that that whatever you you feel that's missing out in the world, find people who also feel that that, that it's missing, um, and find people who can champion you and share opportunities with you. So, 
interestingly enough, for my Spotlight Salon that I have got coming up, the people who are in that, who are white, when I led my values, I talked about diversity, they were so um, passionate about this, this having a, a, a world that's very, you know, belonging, you know, belonging and inclusive, mm. that you know, they were allies. So allies will mm. always help people. So the last tip I want to ask you before, because I want to hear a lot more about how people can work with you and, and connect with you, is if someone has listened to this and certainly how I'm feeling, which is like, I'm buoyed up, I'm feeling the confidence, I want to go for it. What is one, your best practical piece of advice that someone could do today to take, get them one step closer to getting their business and media coverage? Yes. So find out where your audience hangs out right? So there's a lot of people mm-hmm. who come at pitching and they say things like, I want to be featured in Forbes. Um, I want to be in Cosmopolitan magazine. You know, I want to be in Red magazine. They come with the, they're letting their ego push them, yeah. right? Actually, where is your customer hanging out? The best thing you can do, really easy tip, and do it a day in the life of your customer, don't imagine your customer. Mm. I hate those customer avatars because everyone is different. Again, that's not very inclusive, is it? Imagine your three ideal customers and they all <laughs> oh, they the all do the thing same thing, day. actually, you know. Um, so ask yourself, the minute you your customer wakes up, what is it that they what brands do they touch? What kind of and yeah, you are gonna have to be a little bit cliched, right? But what mm-hmm. what brands are they interacting with? So if you're um so this, I did this actually, funny enough. I did this for my fashion business. Um, I said, right, the minute my customer wakes up, um, where does she hang out? What does she do? What gyms does she go to? Um, you know, what does she read? Um, and that is how I ended up thinking of the, the mummy bloggers, right? So my, bra- my, my, my fashion brand, the people who were buying my product were working mums and working mums follow mummy bloggers. So that's where that whole push for bloggers came from. Um, you know, right. I, my, my ideal, so I had a fashion brand, but my customers at the time I was launching, you know, had my business, people were really into green smoothies. It was the era of Madeline Shaw, mm-hmm. Hemsley and Hensley and these bloody green smoothies, right? And yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I then thought, hang on a minute, my customer is, you know, a woman who's a professional woman who goes to the office every day, you know, she's typically a lawyer or accountant, blah, 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 works in maybe the works in the media. And she will love to buy, she will be buying the Hemsley Hemsley book and the Madeline Shaw book. Can I pitch to Madeline? So mm. that, you know, you look at the side industries. So that's what I did. I looked at the sideline yeah. industries and lo and behold, I did get Madeline um, uh, and was featured all over her, blo- her grid and then did get a whole wave of followers. And that, that was just, perfect so before you you even start pitching anywhere ask where does your customer hang out and also what brands do they interact with from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep and that will then pop out things like you know food brands sports brands wellness brands you know i mean it all depends what industry you're in right Totally, but it's looking at the yeah the the really broad spectrum of opportunities out there. It's not just getting in you know your favorite broadsheet that's got you know the, the biggest name. It's actually looking at those smaller entry yes. points um, 
of where that that exposure or those collaborations could get you in front of the well, right those people. Those smaller entry I'm, points are actually very, very powerful, in fact, because they're yeah. people, when you look at those smaller entry points, you go into them, that you are actually borrowing someone else's audience. So it's like a dance floor. Mm. You, if you do a collaboration, if your product gets featured on, you know, Madeline Shaw's grid or whoever's grid it is or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you're immediately putting your frat brand in front of that, da- you know, that dance floor. And you're saying, here, hey guys, this is what I do. Come and join me over here. Uh, and you're borrowing yeah, that exactly. audience. You're finding someone with a shared audience to you, but they, they work in a different space to you. So it, it's actually so powerful. I think it's more powerful sometimes in media than, than, than classic think, media. So, you know, broadsheets and that sort of stuff. I think that's, it's such an amazing tip to end on about what people can do today. I would argue that people could also look at, to work with you because I think, you know, you've, you've given us so much in this hour, but there's, there's so much that you can teach through your, through your courses. Can you tell us how can people find you? How can they work with you? What have you got coming up um, sort of later this year and going into next sure. year? So, I mean, just as a very immediate thing as well, um, if people want to kind of enter my world, they can go to my website, which is www.pitchtopress.com, and they can download a little freebie I've got there, which is 10 steps on how to get into the media. So that's actually a really nice little process flow. Uh, And it's actually perfect now because as things start opening up, um, you'll see that some of the steps are about going to a networking event. So... That mm. th- that exact process flow, it's like a very nerdy little chart. It says, you know, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. That that process is exactly how I got into Red Magazine. And that's a process exactly how I got um, my brand, uh, you know, in front of Dolly, Dolly Alderton. So mm. go and download that, first of all. Um, secondly, I have a really beautiful event coming up um, that people can sign up for called um, the Spotlight Salon. So if you go to It's Your Spotlight it's you know it's your spotlight.com if you go to that it's your spotlight.com and that is going to be a, a sort of a big um beautiful virtual conference where we've got 12 amazing speakers talking about how you can master you know the art of media pitching and become more visible in your business and we talk about really juicy mm. things in that so we talk about like how do you deal with council culture online how do you deal with tokenism um how do you navigate a media feature to make money. Um, we've got one woman who is a phenomenal, like sales making, set money making machine, but she's just so good in teaching you how to position your offers in the right way. So it's a really, really beautiful event. So sign up to that and then you just, you get, it's like a whole podcast season in a week. Like you get two recordings every day and you can listen to those for Amazing. free. And then after the weekend, so it end, it starts on 15th of November and ends on the 19th of November. Um, you, you can donate money to charity and then get access to those recordings for life for $27. And if people are listening to this podcast when it comes out, that you, they'll be able to still go and, and, and yeah. purchase those yeah. recordings. And yes. I'm sure yes. there'll be another Spotlight Salon coming up at there, some point. Yeah, there will be. I will be planning it. And you can also follow me at, at, um, at Startups and Co as well on Instagram. Brilliant. Adela, thank you so much. I can't believe you packed so much great value into an hour of us chatting, but I really love talking to you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Connie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bossing It. So that this podcast can be discovered by even more people, please do rate, review and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us online at Found Flourish 
then you can tweet us, DM us, get in touch with us however you'd like to let us know if you've got any questions about the topics we cover in this series or if you'd like to nominate your favourite entrepreneur to be our next guest.